This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, hello, flamethrowers. I am so excited to do a hot take with SB Nation soccer writer Kimberly McCauley. We have just finished watching the second semifinal of the NWSL playoffs, and I want to get her views on a game that for me was kind of surprising. What did you think? It was a lot. It was really fast. It was just, it was very intense. Uh, I don't think the the result was surprising. The result is uh, with North Carolina winning is I think what a lot of people expected, but uh it certainly does not bode well for North Carolina in the final since they are going to be on shorter rest and uh, they had to do a lot of running in that game. It was fast. It was real really fast, fast, right? And so what stuck out to you? Uh, I think the a big thing that stuck out to me was that actually that Chicago did better than I thought they would. They had They had more of the ball than I thought they would. They had more chances than I thought they would. Uh, they were, you know, they were really close. Um, but they got they got unlucky. They got really unlucky. They hit the post a couple times, and uh, they really they struggled. Even though they were, you know, the game was pretty even. They struggled to get Sam Kerr shots, and Sam Kerr's been the the, the Golden Boot winner for the last two years. Um, so, you know, it, I guess the problem was that the shots were falling to the the lesser finishers. They had chances, but they weren't falling to the person who you would expect to finish them. Right. At, at some point I saw her dribbling into four or five players just looking right. desperate. Right. It seemed like she was getting frustrated that she wasn't getting uh, on the ball enough. And uh, knowing North Carolina's coach, Paul Riley, I wouldn't be surprised if he specifically game pla- game planned for that and kind of decided like, okay, we're, there are a few things we're okay with giving up, but we're going to make sure that she has, you know, either there's somebody in front of her so they so there's no passing lane or if she does get the ball there ha- there has to be two three players on her um it wouldn't surprise me at all if if he made that that decision and the second goal just seemed i mean yeah the, the second so the second goal was pretty good so the i think there's a lot to talk about on on both goals honestly the first one is is interesting for a few reasons first of all because the uh, North Carolina's coach, Paul Riley, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say called out would be harsh, but he was definitely, I think, trying to evoke a reaction from from Crystal Dunn when he gave an interview recently where he said, you know, he listed off all the things she's great at and why he thinks she's one of the best players in the league, but says her, you know, her passing could stand to improve. And uh, I, I did a story about Crystal Dunn earlier in the year that I interviewed Paul Riley for, and I've talked to him a few times this year. And it's, it's pretty clear that he thinks Crystal Dunn is the best player in the league. Um, so for him to say that, I think, was very much on purpose, trying to get a reaction out of her. And the result is that Crystal Dunn had the had the assist on the first goal, not just an assist, but 
a perfect on the floor through ball into space for Jessica McDonald. Uh, the second really surprising thing about that goal is that Jessica McDonald absolutely torched Julie Ertz. One, it was just yeah. a one-on-one battle and it wasn't close. Jessica McDonald just blew by her and, you know, shouldered her off and was clean through on goal. Um, so I guess not, not particularly shocking. It's just McDonald's a really good player. Honestly, one of the most underrated players in NWSL. Um, mm. She's she's bounced around to a lot of teams before she she kind of found her home with Riley and the Courage, and she's a real like locker room leader and you know glue of the team. In addition to be really good at scoring goals, um, so it's she's, she's so, from North Carolina, right? Um, I actually don't know. I mean, I, I thought can, she was a Tar Heel. Yeah, I think I can she's look kind real of quick to her people in a sense. Yeah, she's uh, well, she's from Arizona, but yeah, she uh, so she she played like at a real like a small local school at first, and then transferred to North Carolina. Okay, okay, yeah. So it's nice to see her kind of you know do what she's capable of. Right. So she's really interesting because she's she's bounced around a lot because I think she had a reputation as not being a great uh, finisher, which is deservedly so, but. Uh, finishing is is fairly random. There's only like a small, tiny handful of players in the world who like finish more, finish their chances more often than you would expect. Um, everybody else is like in this variable range, and it changes a bit from season to season with a you know a certain floor and ceiling for really good but not elite players. And she was always in that range, and she was. The at the time she was traded to uh, what was then the Western New York Flash. She moved to North Carolina. She was the league's all-time leader in expected goals, um, but not in goals. Basically, meaning she was getting a lot of really high-quality shots. She just wasn't finishing them, um, which made her like a really a really obvious like good value. That if you could put the right you know the right pieces around her, that she was going to be a really really effective scorer, and she's consistently had. You know, which I think she's had she's had one down year in all of the NWSL. I don't remember which one it was, but almost every year she's had a bunch of goals and assists. Um, so it was, I guess, if you are if you are unfamiliar with Jess McDonald, it may have been surprising to see her just one on one with you know Julie Ertz, one of the big stars of the national team, just get torched like that. But Jess McDonald is is really really good and has shown that she's capable of doing that, uh, you know, over and over over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about the second goal. <laughs> the second goal was ridiculous. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those things that I think uh Sam Mewis probably doesn't try unless it's that situation. Not that she isn't like capable of that. She scored some really, really good goals in her career, but her her main role in the team is to be like a, a ball circulator and somebody who is making safe plays, making sure that they, that North Carolina keeps possession. And, uh, you know, especially in a, in a big game and in a close game, uh, that's what you want her to do. But she got in the situation where I think she was like, Hey, we're winning this game. We're very much in control. And like, here's a chance to put it away. Like, I'm just going to shoot my shot. And she blasted it into the top corner from 30 yards. She just called that game right then. Right. That was just, that was like, <laughs> we're done now. Yeah, I don't know what minute was it. What, it, was it was like, like 88. 80. Yeah. Yeah. 
80 something. So that was pretty exciting. I mean, if you're Portland, what are you thinking? I mean, I think Portland knew that they were, that they were going to get a challenge. I think that their Portland's coach, Mark Parsons probably expected North Carolina to win the game and has probably been thinking about how we might set up to face them rather than Chicago. Not that he's, he'd be disrespecting an opponent or like not planning for one of them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he had an inkling that, that North Carolina was the likely opponent. And, uh, I think that they will, Portland will probably be very happy that the game was a very up and down fast one because due to the, the game getting moved because of uh, hurricane Florence, um, you know, this game was originally scheduled to be played on Sunday and now it had to be played, uh, tonight when we're speaking on Tuesday. And that means that for the, the championship game this weekend, Portland is going to be on three days more rest. Uh, mm-hmm. So Portland's probably thrilled about not, I mean, maybe not the outcome, but thrilled that the, uh, the style of the game that they're going to, that they're going to know that they're the, you know, fitter and more well-breasted team going into the game, which especially suits Portland style because Portland likes to run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can, can I ask a little bit about, the booing. Sure, let's talk about the uh, booing. It was pretty. It was pretty intense for a small crowd. So I don't know if you guys have have covered the Jalen Hinkle thing at all. Like, oh, we you, sure have. You're, so your your listeners are aware of Jalen Hinkle. Um, yeah, you can uh, remind. You can but, remind because you know. yeah. In, in case anybody's not caught up, basically, Jalen Hinkle with, withdrew from the United States Women's National Team because she objected to wearing uh, a a jersey with with rainbow pride numbers on it. And then she gave an interview to the 700 club, uh, Christian news magazine, I guess you'd call it, um, where she, she discussed that decision and, uh, that did not go over well with many of NWSL's queer fans. And as you know, and I'm sure a lot of listeners know, uh, there are a lot of queer NWSL fans. It's a significant, uh, percentage of the, of the match going fans. And uh, this is particularly the case in Portland uh, where, you know, a lot of, a lot of those fans were <laughs> very, very unhappy with Hinkle. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, the personal reasons banner um, at their, their first, cause the first game that North Carolina played after that interview came out was at Portland. Uh, so the, the booing started then and it continued tonight and it was really loud, especially given that there were, you know, half as many people in the stand in the stands as there are for a normal Thorns game, because they had half mm-hmm. the stadium closed because it's under construction. Um, I was I was surprised that you know it was only forty five hundred people instead of would have been ten thousand if they had the whole stadium open. Um, but it was it sounded like it was ten fifteen thousand people booing her. Yeah, it's one of the things that frustrated a lot of the people that we talked to on the pod, because we did more than one kind of that mentioned Tinkle. <laughs> there was, there was a pretty like significant coverage from the podcast because um, I, I think in part we were surprised by the courage allowing them on the team's grounds to do that. Yeah. I think it was, uh, it was pod. definitely, it was, it was very, naive of them right like i i think that they were they i don't think it was a endorsement of the 700 clubs views or politics on their part i think they just 
they just thought like, oh, somebody with a big platform wants to do an interview. Sure. Um, and they were they were naive about what the result would be. People like Pat Roberts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there are you know. there are some there are some unsavory characters on that show. There are people that I have uh, personal disagreements with who uh, are on that show. Yeah, I, I part of our uh, frustration, at least among the co-hosts, and when we talked about it, did have to do with that that relationship. It it wasn't like a decision to not wear the jersey and find a different less hateful outlet i guess um, right that was that was kind of, kind of the the problem is that you you can't say that like oh this is a this isn't a political statement this isn't a hateful statement this is just a personal choice if you are talking about on the 700 club exactly Exactly. I think that that's really the way most of the people that we interviewed and the way that the co-hosts felt that it was that was a central issue and it didn't get a ton of play in social media debate tended to center on she has the right to do this. No, it's you know, no, it's undermining her team. It's homophobic, which that's true in both counts. But there's this other issue of of where you decide to take that story and to make that choice a heroic choice. Because right. I don't know how many of our listeners looked at the spot, but it's pretty, it sort of like really portrays her as a Christian martyr. Right. Um, and so and the parts that do are not in her words. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But I think that y- like you have to know that that's the treatment it's going to get. And that's the way the story is going to be portrayed. If you go on the 700 club, that it's, right. it's, it's not just going to be about your personal choice anymore. It's going to be taken. It's going to be spun around and taken as, you know, you have a problem with LGBT people. Like that's how it's going to be presented. If Mm -hmm. you go on that show. Right. Right. So that's why she gets food. Yeah. I I don't have a lot of sympathy, but I know on, on, you know, a lot of the people I respect on Twitter felt the booing was, a bit immature and then other people I saw were like, Hey, this really makes us feel more safe actually. Right. And And the thing is if, if she had just posted on her Twitter, like, Hey, I felt like this is against my beliefs and that's why I didn't wear it. Um, I don't think people would be booing her. Yeah. Even if they strongly disagreed with her and had a problem with her, I don't think they would go as far as to boo her every time she touched the ball. If that's the way she went about it, but she went on the, she went on the 700 club. So Right. You get what you play for sometimes. <laughs> and so it, it was interesting. Anyway, do you think it affected her at all? Do you think she even registers it or would it be, is she too focused on the game? I think it's, she's, I think she's too focused on the game. It might be affecting her after the game, you know, after she's had a, a chance to like decompress and she get out of that mode, she might think about it and bother her. But like in game, does it affect your play? No, I don't think so. And what do you, so looking back on the NWSL season, do you have any few pointers? You know, this is a quick hot take, but any any thoughts about the season as a whole? We've covered a lot of Sky Blue. We've covered a lot of, you know, some of the most exciting parts of the season and some of the most frustrating in terms of resources. Going into this and looking back, what do you think? Uh, yeah, the Sky Blue situation really sucks. And 
it's a situation that's born of NWSL centrally not really having any leadership. Um, you know, you can criticize the Sky Blue ownership and GM Ch- Tony Novo. And there's the you know thing right now with Cloud9, the supporters group, saying they won't renew their season tickets until Tony Novo's fired. But, um, I mean, that's a start, but that's not going to change anything. I mean, the, the problem is that the, the league has pretty loose standards and the standards it does have, it's not able to enforce because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have strong leadership. There hasn't been a commissioner for over a year and the people who are kind of acting as not commissioner, but like kind of the people who have, who that those duties have been spread out among none of them seem to feel empowered or to take charge or want to take charge. One of the two, if not a combination of the two. Um, so there's nobody holding Sky Blue accountable. Um, and that's really the biggest problem. That's the biggest thing that needs to change in the offseason for NWSL is they need to install strong leadership who actually holds people accountable. I mean, it's the same thing with this situation with the, the semifinal getting moved to Portland and the game not being until until Tuesday night. You know, if there was if there was strong leadership in place at the top, they could have had this sorted out much earlier. They could have had the the hard conversations and said, you know, nobody's leaving this conference room on Monday until we have a solution so that we can play the game on time, whether that's in North Carolina or in Portland or in somewhere else. Like if they, if they had a strong leader who was doing that, the game would have been played on time, but because there wasn't any, any leadership like that, you you know, nobody was able to make a decision and nobody kind of, it seems like nobody knew whose decision it was, who got to make that decision. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's my, I guess my, my hot take on the league as a whole and the season as a whole is for NWSL to get better, to move forward. There needs to be strong leadership at the top. There isn't right now. I feel like you're self-nominating right now. Is that happening? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think I'd make a very good commissioner. I think you'd be an amazing commissioner. You're so you'd bring so much humor to the job. I might and have. I might have good ideas, and I might make people laugh. But I'm certainly not. Uh, I'm. I'm better at writing and talking than I am at managing people. I'm not going to lie. Fair enough. Fair enough. We can co-commission. I'm really <laughs> good at stuff. Because I, I do have to say that some of your writing that includes pictures with graphs about how we should think about positions and things. I mean, it looks very organized from the outside. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's very, very impressive, to be honest with you. Okay, last question, Kim. Um, your prediction, do you have one? Yeah, That's I think, final. unfortunately, I think that the... Uh, honestly that North Carolina has screwed themselves by, uh, by being so stubborn about moving the game Um, because they were so stubborn about moving the game. It got pushed back and now they're going to have to play on short rest. And ultimately that's going to be, that's going to be the difference. And I think if the, the people who were in charge of, of uh, the courage had just, you know, relented on Monday and said, yeah, okay, we understand it's a hurricane um, and, you know, figured out a way to play this game on Sunday then I think that the, the the courage would have been the favorites. But now that you have the uh, the thorns on three extra days rest, I think uh, I have to go with them. All right, you got a score prediction? Two one. Two one. That's always a that's a good safe score. Well, 
Yeah, right. I feel like it feels like hedging, doesn't it? It, it? Well, it's a good safe score, but it's probably right. You know, I'm I'm also I'm a very you know predictable person in that sense. Like I go with the safe prediction, and I think two ones probably probably right on the money. But both, let's see. Both teams have hey. really good have really good defenders, but I don't think either of them are like such strong defensive teams that they'll be able to uh, to make a shutout. Perfect. Well, Kimberly McCauley, thank you so much. Soccer writer for SB Nation. We'll be following you into the finals. Thank you.